When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. City of Chronicles is a Mia Chronicles production. <laughs> Welcome to Seria Our Chronicles. This is our month anniversary. We've been going for a full month now, and, and you haven't got us off the air just yet. It's uh, me, Nikki Bandini. I have with me Mina Rizuki, and this is your one-stop shop for all of the latest going on in Italian football, Seria. Not only Seria, because we're going to talk to you uh, this time around about the international uh, games come up as well because Italy are in the Nations League semi-finals. We're not content in Italy with just winning one or two things every anymore. We win everything now. I don't know if you've noticed that in sport, but Mina, how are you doing? I, I understand you might not be feeling quite so winning at the moment. You've got a bit of a cold going on. Yeah, it's been, it's been over a week and I still have this silly cold that seems to be going around. But it was really funny actually because I was watching this week and I thought to myself, um, you know, you know, when you work in the game, you sort of stop being a fan of a team. I don't know if you've ever been a fan of a team because you know, you're not quite as obvious as I'm, I am. I'm, I'm a noted Arsenal fan. I don't know if I said noted. No, but not in Serie A. Noted by someone. Noted. Yeah. It's been documented in my biography. <laughs> noted. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was saying as in like, obviously I'm a Juve fan, you know, in Serie A. And, and I've been like actually enjoying like Roma games a little bit more, Milan games. And I feel like revived when I watch them. And then to myself, I started thinking, am I still like a huge fan of Juve? And then I watched Juve against Torino. And yes, I'm a huge <gasps> fan of Juve. Like, Did you I'm insane. It? Did you forget I'm in- about your cold when Locatelli scored? Yes. And I think even more when I watched them against Chelsea, because it was like in your face, <laughs> you know, like this is Juve. Don't even underestimate. I was like, not even for a second, you know. And I just got like really Larry and really, I was like, oh, thank God I'm not doing anything live <laughs> right now. Because I just thought like right now I would be so kicked off air for being like, take that tall and whatever your names are and whoever this is, I, this is my ground. You know? And I just thought, oh, it's remarkable. I mean, once you're a fan, you, you really can't shake it off, you know, like I am weirdly and obsessively obsessed with them. So, yes, I will always be a Juve fan. I think that's my takeaway from this week. I think that's such a fascinating, like, whole area of conversation for all of us who work in in football media, because, like, all of us come to this from a passion for it, right? Like, I just don't think, 
It's interesting because there are a hundred percent there are professional football players who don't care that much about football. There've been some have even talked about, like Benoit Sarkota at Tottenham did, just not that bothered about football, but it's a good career and they're good at it. Yeah. I don't think that you could end up in football media as a professional in it, because it's just it's such a competitive area that you only end up doing it in the first place if you have a genuine interest in it. So everyone comes into it with fandom as part of their makeup. And we all have our challenging spots of like where that resides. And it's one of the reasons that um, it's comfortable for me in some ways to, to cover Serie A is that my fandom has always been with Arsenal because I grew up in England. But then even I get into this um, situations like at the Euros where I'm covering Italy. <laughs> and like crying. fighting to be um, uh, as impartial as I can. And I, I, I really sincerely hope that all my writing is impartial. I, I do try. Um, and sorry, by the way, someone is whistling in triumph. Perhaps they heard me talking about the Euro 2020 final and they thought, yes. But it, there, are, there are moments where your, your emotion, your sincere emotion, uh, of course, it's there. And, you know, covering the Euro 2020 final it was, was definitely a new experience in that, even for me, like being there in, in Wembley. You know, you can stay laser focused up to a point because you've got deadlines and everything weighing down on you. But the emotion is there and it's, it's real. Did you cry? Did I cry? I didn't cry. No, I didn't cry. Okay, do you have like a tiny soft spot for like a team in Italy? Like, come on, just like, a, 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 like you know, I know that you had one for Atalanta at some point. I don't think you supported them, but I felt like you were so in awe of them. But is there no, no team mean, that tickles your fancy that you're like, you know what, I kind of really like them, you know? And so full disclosure, like yeah. my, my Italian family are all... Uh, Maybe all is overstating it. No, I think they might all be interisti. They're all, but there's a big inter um, contingent in my family. Oh, you had um, to go there. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm sure that was like really made and, and like you became vociferous in your devotion to Conde last season. Now I know why. I, gonna, I, get, accused <laughs> of, I get accused of so much, Mina, though. Like I get, I've been accused of being a Juventus fan for the last decade, which weirdly coincided really? with the winning nine titles in a row yeah because I was writing about them all the time because they kept winning that's unfair this is where I mean though like I really do have that sort of different relationship with it like of course like my family was put into and that doesn't you know that has some impact on you um and I was really so happy for my family when they did win the travel like I was really happy for my cousins my uncles I also two of my cousins were briefly on the books at Inter oh really but but after Inter won the treble, I was sort of desperate for someone else to win it. And I can't ever imagine feeling about like that about, about Arsenal. I'd want Arsenal to keep winning. Not that they ever win, but if they ever did. Okay. I, I, you're, so you're a Calcio fan. You're actually a fan of Italian football as opposed to a team in specific, you know? I love this league. This league excites me all the time. But here's, I remember being, my partner being a horrible human being is um, an Inter fan. And on our third date, <laughs> I uh, basically like spilt food on my top and he had bought with him because, well, basically he spilt the food on me and then he had bought with him an Inter jersey that he then made me wear on our third date. So, Oh my God. Which I just thought was really horrendous, you know. Who just has that? <laughs> like, oh, we spilled something on you, Mina. Like how many dates he brought on before that? Just waiting to put it on. <laughs> yeah. You know, I also noticed that he had like a whole espresso, like, what's it called? The kettle was all inter stuff. 
Yeah, like, you know, I was really worried, okay? Because he told me he was a Liverpool fan and he was a Liverpool fan, but for some reason, he, and I just thought if his bedspread is injured, I'm so out. You know, like I am running for the hills at this point. Instead, he just dressed you in Inter. He didn't need exactly. to dress his bed in Inter things. He just dressed you in Inter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so there I was, you know, on my third date in the incident into Jersey. So I, but I do really have a soft spot for them sometimes. Like, you know, I do, like, I like them succeeding sometimes you know obviously I always want you to succeed but yeah I can look I, I think lots of journalists um will say this um I, I root for storylines for sure there yeah. are storylines I get behind that excite me and I root for individuals who I who I I get swept up in you know I I am um, and coaches I, I've talked about some of them on this podcast Anyway, we could stay anyway. here chatting with this forever. We should, probably should talk about some some of the football that happened this week. We definitely should talk about one other thing first, which is we wanted to give a shout out to um, some of the sports of this show. As you guys know, if you're listening to this, we're a new show. We're independent. We're, we're trying to make this thing work as an independent show. Um, this is our fourth episode. And uh, some of you have been incredibly generous to contribute financially um, and, and help support us. That is really appreciated and actually really important as well for us at this point in time we're trying to see if we can can make this this show run because it's also not just Mina and I who you hear who make this show we also have producer Simon all of this stuff um takes time and money so thank you so much for supporting us we're going to read out a couple of comments uh from you guys uh Italy Cats with uh their donation said happy to support your show you are the reason I enjoy Serie A which is honestly the sweetest thing that anyone could say so thank yeah. you so much Italy Cats and best wishes on the long run. Well, with you guys' support, hopefully, fingers crossed, the long run. But that is honestly such a sweet thing to say that, that you think that we are part of the reason you enjoy the league. And um, I'm happy that we can be part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm so glad that you get to see the best league in the world. Um, and I really was drawn to this comment from Flux. It said, huzzah, the dynamic duo returns. And it just, it really made me um, smile. But <laughs> I thought, yeah, huzzah. And I thought, yes, that's exactly how I felt. But we have so many. Well, actually, Mina has promised, promise, I'm pretty sure this is like a, an oath or whatever the it. firmest kind of promise is that a person can make that can't be broken. She signed a contract saying that she's going oh, to have I really? do a, a rap or a limerick next week with someone's comment. So there you go. Look out for that next week. But probably let's talk about the <laughs> If you have donated to us, you will be mentioned. And I will try to do something like a poem or a limerick or because I need the extra work apparently. <laughs> Mina just wants to flex her limerick skills at everyone. Yeah. Si gioca Bergamo. Che si imposta. Ha dato una buona palla in mezzo a Salemakers che cerca di velocizzare. Teo Hernandez, palla dentro, attenzione Calabria, Calabria, la parata Calabria, c'è il gol di Calabria, subito l'apertura, il gol di Calabria, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, splendida azione nostra, difesa dell'Atalanta presa in velocità, presa in infilata, presa in profondità. Mina, there was some good football this weekend and um, I guess maybe we could start talking about Atalanta Milan on Sunday night. Yes. What did you think of that match? I just felt like, okay, just one thing. Is now Calabria the best fullback or have you agreed with this point of view or am I still the only one who thinks Calabria is the best fullback in Italy? I mean, what a start to the game, scoring that goal and what a sort of 
odd disconnect that there has been with Calabria and not getting into the Italy team, which finally broke on Monday. We're recording on Monday. This happened on Monday. Rafael Toloi is uh, injured and so not going to stay with the Italy um, team for the Nations League. And that made a space which Calabria is going to fill. And not before time, Roberto Mancini. Uh, we think we think you should have been paying attention to this one sooner. But Toloi was ahead of him in the ranking. I don't understand. Well, I mean, different kind of player, but yeah, like Sense still. I, I love that. I mean, I guess he's in your head. And um, we should say, cause he scored the opening goal. Uh, Milan beat Atalanta 3 2. It was a bit of an odd game, in as much as 3 2 does not feel like it's the final score in my head, because Milan were 3 0 up. And then it got like a little bit close, but not really close, because the last goal was in the, like, the 93rd minute. But I. I do love Calabria and I loved Milan's approach to this game because they were coming off the midweek game against Atletico Madrid in which Kessie uh, gets sent off after like half an hour. You've played 60 minutes on uh, 10 men against uh, a Diego Simeone team. I really thought there was a, a worry for Milan that they could come into this game flat and, and they didn't. Like it was right away, first minute of the game, uh, Teo Hernandez and uh, Dodo Calabria, the two fullbacks combining in the Atlanta penalty area to, to put them one up. And I just thought, God, this is why we enjoy this Pioli team because they go for you. They come for you every, every week. Yeah, I think that this is the interesting storyline is that, you know, this was obviously the team that had condemned them and they conceded five goals against them. And in the beginning of this Milan journey that had... Um, Stefano Pioli and, you know, Paolo Maldini at the helm. And, you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic was brought in, Kajer was brought in. Everyone made a point of noting how young this Milan team is. The average age is still around 23, or at least it was of the squad that faced Liverpool. And this is a young squad and everyone thought they need a point of reference. They need to be raised and developed. Remember the first season, we didn't know if Pioli was going to keep his job. There were lots of rumours going around and, and everything seemed you know, exciting after the coronavirus had shot down everything and football had finally returned. It was exciting to see Milan really kick off and do amazing things. And then Atalanta was always sort of the bogey team. Ooh, are we going to manage to qualify into the top four at the last game of the season? They played Atalanta and Zlatan said, for sure, we're going to win it. And they were tremendous and, and, and again, qualified. But Atalanta is always almost how we judge them. It's like the measuring stick, you know? And you see, it's exactly like that. Atletico Madrid and Atalanta, probably the two dentist chairs, right? The two teams you really don't like to face in general because they're so difficult to play against. Different, you know, styles of play, obviously, but to see the energy, to see how much they actually don't need a player like Zlatan up, up front, the 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 tenacity of Tonali to strip, you know, Froiler of possession and yeah, go for goal, you know, that... I mean, there's a player who last season was constantly criticised, you know, where is he? Why is he not showing up? Is this too much of a big step? This is a man who said to himself, you know what? I will take a salary cut. I'm staying here. I'm proving it to you guys. And he's been phenomenal. Calabria, phenomenal. You know, this is a side that doesn't, that no longer depends on Teo Hernandez to create for you. They have so many different ways towards goal now. And I think that's what's so impressive is what Pioli's done to raise them. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting, like when you mentioned Teo Hernandez, I almost feel like Teo Hernandez is one of the players, even this season, I was like, 
you know, you're not, you're not coming along with everyone here. So the fact that he did something at the beginning of the game, I'm, 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 you know, encouraged by, um, for, for Milan because, uh, I think there are other people who've shone much brighter than him recently. Mm. Um, I, I, I think I talked about this last week. Like anytime you see one of these guys interviewed, they all cite Pioli as giving them little individual pieces of advice. And I think that's so fundamental. I think he's obviously such a good man manager, but I, I think it's really striking the the process that everyone's going through and who knows maybe it's even been uh, helpful just timing wise this is not saying that ebra doesn't still have something to give but maybe it's even been helpful timing wise that they have had this little early part of the season out of ebra's shadow because people are stepping up mm. and tonali you've already mentioned i i love the way he went after that goal it was one of those moments that really gives the lie to this whole oh next pillow tag you know Again, he himself cited Gattuso as one of his um, inspirations. That was all Gattuso there. Just harry your opponent until he gives you the ball and just keep going. Also, when did Rafael Liao become concrete? Like Rafael Liao used to be the player who I thought, yeah, sure, on a given day, maybe he'll do something. But now it's like against Liverpool in the Champions League, he shows up. Against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, he shows up. Against Atalanta, he shows up. He shows up and he does these brilliant things over and over again. I think it's just, and this is kind of, we're back to where we started this podcast, I mean, when you're asking me like about sporting teams, like I, going on what I said to you earlier, like inter family, I shouldn't be getting this excited about a Milan team, but it excites me to see young footballers with a good manager going in a direction. And this Milan trajectory is just all good trajectory right now, I think. You know what, weirdly enough, like I support a team, but I, I think for the like football should be about teams like Milan winning it because there's absolutely nothing that I can honestly criticize them for. You know, they have a wonderful coach that, like you said, every single player cites, you know, as one of the reasons for their development. Um, Rafael Leao came back from the summer holidays and according to Purely was just determined to make a difference. And, and I think that there is this constant competition, constant camaraderie there that everyone grows with and purely is a father who will call you and make sure that, you know, you're on it or what you need or how can I make this better? And I think even the fact that Daniel Maldini cited him as, as a reference point shows you that he's not only somebody who can organize a team phenomenally, somebody who can make up for absences phenomenally, but also has a great relationship. And I remember at the time, like I was a little bit obsessed with Pellegrini's Malaga at the time. And when you spoke to the players, they said, you know, they do it all for him because he's just got this emotional bond. And that's something that Calabria was also saying, that you just have this, you, you want this team to succeed. And when they are doing so, the things that are so right, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to be held hostage by expensive contracts. Donnarumma doesn't want to go, doesn't want to stay, you can go. Chanelogu, you can go, you know, we'll, we'll replace. And Manyan has come in. And I thought, for example, like, you know, when you look at Calabria's goal and you think Musa maybe could have done a little bit better there, whereas Manyan is just, has been a wonderful replacement. So, so brilliant. And it's just the scouting, this ability to raise them to be on the level of the team. Um, and I just feel like for the good of football, sides like this who manage their finances the way that they've been managing it, who are scouting so well, you know, the team is young and everything about it is is good for football, frankly speaking, you know. I feel like if you love culture or you just love football in general, you're kind of supporting Milan at the moment. But, but then what a thing to say when they're up against Atalanta, who everyone's been yeah, you know, that's able to also get behind. True. Great point. 
bit about Ed Hunter. They kept coming yeah. in this game because they did. You know, they were three 0 down, and they didn't. They didn't ever run the white flag up. And this is what I said at the start of the season. Like I just, I, it's not that they've really even taken a big step back. I just think that everyone around them is taking a step forward, and it will be hard for Atlanta to keep being in that top four. Not to say impossible because they still could well do it, but I think that the, the standard they're up against is is rising. And they also have a lot of absences, a lot of absences. As yeah, well. they do. Gossens, Toloi, Pessina. I mean, Pessina you can just out. tell, yeah, Luis Muriel is not in, at the level that he needs to be. Zapata is pretty much, I feel like, you know, Ilicic is what, a little bit overweight apparently, um, according to Gasp. So definitely not, you know, the team of last year or the one before. And this is a bit of a tangent because he wasn't really in this game, but I was just thinking about Daniel Maldini when you mentioned him. And I was thinking... Actually, I I think it was Higuain. I think if I'm remembering right, Higuain's dad is a defender. And like a line that like always um, uh, I remembered from him talking about like the art of being a number nine was like, oh, my dad like taught me the things defenders don't like. And I wonder if if Paolo Maldini like talks to Daniel about like, these are the things that I wouldn't have liked you to do. And also, frankly, if he has those conversations with anyone else in um that Milan group because I know Tamori said he's spoken to Maldini about stuff before like you know ask Maldini for pointers because of course why wouldn't you if he's there it's, it's Paolo Maldini and you're a defender like I wonder how involved Maldini is with some of this stuff as well but um he's not obviously day-to-day on the training ground that's not his job that's not his role but, but he is there a lot of still the a time. resource yeah and it, apparently I mean I know like with Juve for example a lot of the players had referenced the point that they can always just go and chat to Agnelli about regular things you know um I know for for Venezia for example when they support the players they don't just say to them you know you know we're here for everything you need they'll help them make sure that they've got enough savings when they don't play football anymore help them with their careers afterwards make sure that they always have someone to speak to I think that matters and I think right now having somebody like Maldini who's I mean an icon Nedved an icon these things make a difference if they're available to you all the time and you always have a direct access to them and purely I think is one of those coaches that you do have direct access to he's just like a father figure you know but mm-hmm. also at the same time a great tactician like for me surely right now I know Spalletti is probably 21 points probably the best tactician right now but purely Allegri Spalletti like wow I mean Italy's riches are huge when it comes to coaching right yeah, it's, it's, you keep saying that word father and that's really interesting because, yeah, you've got a literal father in that group of one of the players and you've also got these sort of father-like relationships. If you, Mina, if you were a professional football player, say you were Paolo Maldini or equivalent talent level in that position. Yeah, I would be Ronaldo the phenomenon. And you had a kid who was an attacker. Would you, would you, would you go soft on them or would you be like, you can't beat me until you can beat me? Like when you're practicing. Like I have this like image in my head of them like playing calcetto in the backyard like would you be like all right I'll, I'll let him win sometimes or no well considering that I'll be the volcanic president that sacks everyone I'm hardly <laughs> gonna I'm hardly gonna be like the nice father you know what I mean like I was pretty much I remember when I came home with my GCSE scores I had one B and like a whole set of A's and my parents were so disappointed at this one B you know Oh, it's awful. But I kind of loved it because I thought, firstly, they thought so highly of me that a bee's like unquestionably awful for them, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, I do think that I would be that person. But it's interesting because according to Baby Maldini in Daniel, 
he said that his father just, you know, is a father and doesn't actually put this kind yeah. of pressure that we would expect. I wonder what Zidane's like with his boys as well, you know? One of my um, enduring memories of Papu Gomez and his time at Atalanta, he shared, it's only an Instagram story. He shared an Instagram story of him with his son on the beach and he literally like, jumps in into like a two-footed challenge on his son who can't be older than like three <laughs> or four and like just takes it out and and like the um and like has like the um uh the the, the message on it like took the whole ball though palapiena in italian so yeah whole ball There's loads of big games this week I think we should move on to the team that has won Seven games out of seven. Seven, Mina. There is some stuff that we're going to talk about um, that happened off the pitch, which is important and we will get to it. I'm not trying to downplay because it's really important, but I do want to just start on the football. Mina, seven wins out of seven for Napoli. You and I both, when we did our, our top fours earlier this season, didn't end up having them in it. I regretted that after one week. You can confirm that I was messaging you this. Yes. But are you starting to think we've we've um, underestimated Napoli? I don't know. Oh, that was a pause. Here's the thing. I, their, their performances are really good because they're based on Anguissa in midfield for me, who's exceptional. Um, Osterman, who right now is the actual best striker in the league. Like he is a phenomenon, like, wow, <laughs> this player should be the best player in the world. Like he's phenomenal right now to watch. Yeah. Um, there are still things about Napoli that don't convince me in the way that Milan do. Um, that level of performance is always available with Milan. And I'm not, and if it does dip and, and, you know, like the obviously ebbs and flows, but with, with Napoli, there are moments where I just think like Fiorentina was so overpowering, you know, um, in the first half. and. But they are very well rehearsed. They have the, obviously, the group that they can fall back on because they've been together for so long. I think Spalletti is a wonderful tactician. He is just brilliant. But he is also the man who started off being undefeated in 16 matches for Inter. Um, in the first seven, he had won six and lost and drew only one. Like, he does have good starts. And <clears throat> so do Napoli. Napoli, when they win, they keep winning. They know how to ride in momentum. Actually. He has good streaks. Yeah, great he has streaks. Good streaks. And so do Napoli. Yeah. And it coincides. They are also a very streaky team. Like under Gattuso, they went like, you know, a, an amazing amount of number of games in which they won or at least would get a point and then sometimes just to fall. fall. And that's my fear with them. It is that moment, like Fabian Ruiz, for example, like not seeing or not allowing Vlaovic to deliver that perfect assist. It's like focus. And, and sometimes I just feel like they don't have enough of that. I don't feel their mentality is strong enough, whereas I think maybe Milan's might be. So on this occasion, I don't know what to think of them. It is still very early. I think they are phenomenal on a technical level, but there's still so much about them that worries me. What about you? And well, I, I definitely um calling back to my one of my favorite segments on uh, a former podcast we made, I can feel my knee jerking and <laughs> perhaps I am letting my knee jerk too much. But I I can't see this team outside the top four at the moment. I, I think they they are really, yeah, they should be really top four. good. The, the, okay, so the, like 
I'll get to a big caveat because there is a, a great big caveat. Yeah, um, that we have to talk is, about. Is, 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 the, um, is the thing I'm not sure if that, that could hold them back. But talent-wise, it's, it's abundant. Seeing Kudabali playing great again in the back is hugely helpful. Um, but in the middle of the park now, I really like the balance they've got because they've got a couple of real ball players in Jelinski and, and Ruiz, Fabian Ruiz. And then what Anguisa does is he carries the ball. Like he's willing to run with the ball from deep. He has, he's not like top, top, but he's only something like sixth or seventh in Serie A for a most successful dribbles past an opponent. He will really carry that ball forward. So right away, you've already got like a nice dynamic of different players in the middle of the park. You've got this absurd wealth of, of players to play just behind the attack um, because you've got um, Insigne, you've got Politano, you've got Herving Lozano, who I think people forget about, even though a couple of seasons ago, he was like a 40 million euro player. Yeah. Um, you've got Dries Mans, who played his first minutes of the whole season this weekend, six minutes off the bench, barely even played so far. And then you've got Ossiman, who I'm, I'm, I'm so on board with you. And again, I just sort of like want to hone in on something that I think explains what I like about him so much because the the, the the penalty that he won for them against Fiorentina this weekend, part of it is is pace and directness, which he has bags of. And I think um, perhaps Vincenzo Italiano, having got the lead with Fiorentina, keeping that high line was, was a bit suicidal. Like you stay that high, at some point he's going to get behind you. But he's just, because he's, he's all limbs, right? Like he's huge, he's all limbs. And you always think with a player like that, that that can be like awkward, that gangliness can sort of work against them. But he's not. He has this extraordinary body control that lets him shield the ball from defenders so effectively. And on that, um, the penalty he wins, it's just like, I mean, the defender just shouldn't go in, but the defender's desperately trying to catch up with him because he's already got behind him. And he's given no choice by Osimhen. But if you want this ball, you're going through... I mean, literally through my hip because he's so much taller. And I, I love, I love his his balance, his body control. I think he's, I think he's extraordinary. And three yeah, things you that put all those top footballer has. Go, yeah. go, 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 go. No, just one thing. Just top three things that you would want from your footballer is is tactical intelligence, speed of execution, speed of thought, and he has all three. I was going to say, what's interesting, I, 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 that Spalletti, the one thing he asked me is maybe like, you don't always have to run. Sometimes just put yourself places which would be the intelligence thing. So maybe you still think there's something there that, that can be developed. No, I think that also sometimes um, when you're young, you, you you want to put in the effort. You know, like that's why I love so much mm. about Frank Kessier as well, is he always puts in the effort where sometimes I don't even feel like he needs to. Yeah. Um, as you get older, you you don't have the body that responds, right? So that's when you start using different things, you know, and, and like I, I thought Bazali did that so well. Like, I'm just going to stop here and they know what's going on, you know? And that's when yeah. you use different things to cover up. But right now, I want him to do that. I want him to sometimes throw himself going and keep running. Do you know why? Because in a weird way, he is intimidating the opponent. And you can see that Fiorentina's defenders oh, were yeah. terrified of him because he's that guy, that guy that you just know is going to keep running. And he's he has everything. He, he knows exactly how to overwhelm you. So if he, in any way, it's almost like I want him to maintain everything that he has right now because he threatens you even on a psychological level right now. Can we talk about Insignia? We can. We can. You can. Is there something in specific about Insi? He's missing another penalty, isn't it? It's the fact he missed another penalty. No, no. I mean, missing penalties. I mean, even the great Penaldo does so. But like, as in, 
That it happens. Did you really just call him that? <laughs> no, I love him really. But Messi's missed penalty some of the rest. I mean, he's um, trying to get cancelled right now. Because I couldn't believe that there was a penalty that United have and he didn't take it. I'm like, he's the world's greatest finisher. Like, how could he not be the one who takes the penalty for you? But anyway, um, everyone misses penalty, right? Um, that's not my issue. Yes. My issue is him being substituted off. And I just thought, like, I went under a little bit of a rant last year um, because I just said, like, you know, every coach has always, there's always been this whole thing of, doesn't senior like him? Oh, he's run to, to, to hug Angelotti in the end. And, oh, yes, okay, he high-fived Sari, so we're all good with Sari now. It's all. And then I just think to myself, like, you're being replaced by Demi. Demi finally is available and, and, and can play for the team. And I think that actually having him in Angrisa you know, like, is, is such a blessing for Napoli, right? And Insigne has been taken off and you're slyly telling your coach, I have more in the tank. And be a captain. Say, okay, I'm being taken off. You know, I'm being maybe preserved because I am 30 years old and I am extremely talented because he is. But it's this type of behavior that I tell you always makes me worry about Napoli. It is that mm-hmm. kind of, you know, we're always waiting to see whether Insigne is going to accept that. And and we live in a world where Mbappe is being constantly criticized, you know, for his behavior and whether or not he has a bad attitude. But I don't know how Insigne gets away with everything that he does all the time. He can be masterful, but my God, if in any way, shape or form, he feels any inch of disrespect or that he's not being beloved and absolutely lauded like the greatest player in the world, that kind of behavior worries me. And so... Yeah, this is the one thing that I just I I don't get it. He is so talented, you know, like and also on another thing that I also want to talk about is Fiorentina. I feel I feel like no matter how much Vincenzo Italiano can work miracles, this isn't a very good team. Like as an individually, there are so many problems there and they're not at the level of certainly not at the level of Napoli or like any of the top six teams. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I think they are an imbalanced team that has some very good things going for it. Obviously, Vlavic, although Vlavic has not quite been where um, where I think he could be at the start of the season yet. Um, I, I think Italiano is doing a good job. Um, I, I think maybe and this is often the difference between the, the the best teams and the teams just below, and perhaps being um, drawn out even more in in this. Um, era with the five substitutions that they didn't have the same options that Napoli had when it came to it. But I, I did feel like perhaps they needed more variety after taking that lead. Brilliant um, free kick goal, by the way, for, for Napoli's yeah. second. There's also set pieces that he's working on. Um, so there's something um, much less sort of fun to talk about in this game, um, which, which needs to be talked about. Uh, weirdly, it ties together with uh, a completely sort of footballing topic as well. Because the one thing I was going to say as as my um, caveat, as my um, caveat for Napoli, is that they're going to lose some really important players for the Africa Cup of Nations in in January and February. They're going to lose Koulibaly, Osimhen, and Anguissa probably all for about a month, which is really big when you talk about where you finish up at the end of the season. Well, Milan will lose its midfield as well. Yeah, the, the, it's, that's going to have a big dip, big impact this season, I think, in Serie A. Some really mm. important players. Now, and unfortunately, those three players I just named um, were all subjected to um, racist abuse at the end of the Napoli game against Fiorentina um, as they were exiting the pitch. It was picked up on DAZN, who were doing the filming on their cameras and their audio, um, that there were monkey chants directed towards them. Uh, 
Neva and Guisa, not Osimen, reacted particularly, but um, as Kulibali was exiting, he clearly heard something more than just the monkey noises, turns to the, the audience and the, to the crowd and says, did you just call me a monkey? And why don't you come down here and say that to me, um, to my face, basically. I obviously don't need to say that this is awful. Um, it's just... Um, just so unspeakably, I don't I try not to use the words I want to use because I don't know if we get sensitive if I do. Um, it's just so awful that that this is even still happening. And I hope that Fiorentina's actions will be as swift and and decisive as Juventus's were after Mike Manion got racially abused earlier this season when they just immediately identified who it was and and got them banned. And that's what it should be, because it shouldn't be hard given given the cameras right there. Yeah. Banned for life. And I mean, I mean, personally, I think it should be even worse than that, you know? I mean, police should be looking into things like this. Yeah. You, you know, within the statutes of the Italian law, you, you know, that there, there should be something. Um I, I not enough of my Italian law to know what's possible in that regard, but there should be consequences. Um because it's disgusting. And the only thing I sort of wanted to add on that was, I don't want to call it a positive, but just the the contrast that I think was, um, makes you feel like maybe things are changing is that I can think of so many recent examples of situations like this in Italy where people immediately deflected and the most sort of jarring one being Leonardo Bonucci after Moise Ken was racially abused um, by Calgary fans saying, oh, well, it was 50-50 his fault and their fault because he sort of goaded them, which was just such a awful, reprehensible uh, response to someone being racially abused. And there's been none of that in this instance. Fiorentina um, seemed to be very aggressively trying to deal with it. Joe Barone, who's the general manager, was in the Napoli changing room afterwards, apologising to the players personally. So um, I just, yeah, you know, I hope and expect to see a strong response from Fiorentina. And if I don't, then that will obviously be hugely disappointing. Yeah, because I think that, you know, the Mike Manian situation was terrible. We didn't discuss it um, the way that we have because what well, it was that swift Sometimes reaction. Sometimes these stories fall up, but yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it was something that was like dealt with and it, it's not like a pleasing satisfaction. Like, oh, okay, well, you know, you banned this, the, the guy, great. You know, I still got abused at the end of the day, yeah. But the point is, is that there is this a slight like as in we are seeing better reactions and no more sort of you know fan letters that say oh no they only abuse you because they like you know some of the things that have have, have happened or because they're scared of you um some of how the ultras have written into these stars that do get racially abused so there is a better and more positive um discussion around the topic it's still unbelievable that this still happens and and happens all over europe sadly um, but we just need the kind of switch reaction that, for example, Juventus have done. We need more support, I think, from like, you know, governments and police and all of that type of things, in my opinion as well. But, <clears throat> it, and I do, I think that Joe Barone being so horrified by what he was hearing and what he's doing to personally go to the dressing room is also a great step forward. But sadly, you know, the fact is, is that this has happened to Mike Mania. This has happened now again. Um, to Kulibari, who who has faced so much of it already, you know, and and here's the thing: you just know that we're going to bring it up again, you know. But we hope it gets less and less from this point forward. 
superati da 30 secondi sempre 0-0 tra Torino e Juventus con la Juventus però che ci prova ancora con Chiesa limite dell'area di rigore Chiesa l'inserimento la conclusione rete il vantaggio Locatelli Locatelli la mette dentro sull'assist di Chiesa l'inserimento di Locatelli il destro di Locatelli il pallone che bacia la base della palo e si insacca alle spalle di Milinkovic Savic azione che farà felice Roberto Mancini confezionata da due nazionali campioni d'Europa Chiesa che mette il pallone per Locatelli l'inserimento, il tiro, paletto, gol e al quarantesimo si sblocca il derby della Mole Torino 0, Juventus 1, Manuel Locatelli It was the derby um, and we are going to speak about Juventus after that splendid result against Chelsea um, <laughs> don't even mock me it's been four games in a row now for Juventus in which they are winning and they have secured on two occasions my favorite result which is 1-0 <laughs> it's like the result of Juve in the mid-90s right um and I am um, this was a big game because they did play midweek and they were facing Ivan Juric's Torino that I think have been marvelous quite honestly speaking it is a Torino side without a front line um there's no Zaza there's no Piazza there's no Belotti so obviously they have their absences and they're not full strength even though Juve are without Dybala and Morata they still on paper at least have players that can fill out fill the roles including the wonderful uh, Federico Chiesa who on too many occasions in the foreign press has been called Enrico Chiesa in recent times but anyway <laughs> <laughs> He is starting to be like his father. He's playing as a forward. But you and I both said, we're not that worried about Juve losing. We're not that worried that they're in 80th position. <laughs> They'll find their way. Have they found their way, Nikki? Yeah, isn't it interesting? I, I think it's so funny. Like when, when they're winless after four games, you can see like the worst, um, the worst characterization of it. And then... When you sort of have a few wins in a row, you can even go back to those first four games and go, well, what was really, really awful here? Sure, the loss to, to Empoli is just awful. Mm. The loss to Udinese, well, it's a couple of goalkeeping errors. The loss to Napoli, well, it's Napoli. They're very good. Well, you know, you and can start doing this. Like the draw with Milan, it's a draw with Milan. So you can even review sort of like all of it. And I think that probably like both reactions are too extreme. I think they were bad. Um, and I think there's still lots of room for improvement. They were far from, it's not like they swept Torino away. Although personally reading some of the coverage of this game where it was presented as like a totally balanced game, I was like, well, maybe in some aspects, but I never felt like Torino would score. Whereas actually Juventus did have some really good chances even before Locatelli scored. And what I, you know, what you can say on that is, Torino didn't have Bellotti, um, didn't have some other players who I don't want to put in the same category because they're not, but like, you know, Zazapiet. So those are players who Juric cited as, as not being there. Maybe with some more attacking players available, they might have been more of a threat. But for me, um, the last couple of games, um, it, it's this is where we're back to, though, like our own personal things that we're getting drawn to. It's the Italians, Mina, it's Chiesa. And it's Manuel Locatelli, of course, scoring in the derby. And um, I think he's been, I think he's been wonderful. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Loca Locatelli, it's, it's, as a side note, he proposed to his girlfriend that evening 
I mean, what a what a day to school and the the winner in the derby, and then propose to your girlfriend at night. And she says, "Is yes. that unreasonable?" Because I mean, she can't say no, can she? Like on the day of the derby, you've just scored the goal. Oh, let me think about it. You know what? I'm going to ruin this day for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They have been together for a long time, so um, so congratulations to Locatelli. But I mean, for me, more than anything, that I I just there's a Obviously, we're going to talk in, about Inter next and we will. And I do have like, you know, when people point out great coaching and I think of purely straight away, right? I think of Spalletti's like rehearsed schemes, his patterns of play, the way that they're always such balance, you know. I think of Allegri and his reading of the game is just always so outstanding, you know. He knows which players like to that he needs to cover up absences. He knows how to simplify the game for those that are having difficulties. Like this is a Juventus team that has conceded in 20 games in a row that hasn't managed to keep a clean sheet since Spezia last season, what, in March? And he's managed now to keep two clean sheets in the Champions League and his first clean sheet in Serie A by just tightening the lines. It's boring, it's basic, you can call it whatever it is. But he's very good at doing the fundamental things in the football and then trying to use that as a launch pad for hopefully better things to come. But he is without, I mean, we've lost Ronaldo, obviously, over the summer. It is a huge blow. I know people don't think it is. I don't know why they don't think it is. This is Ronaldo, yeah? So, and then on top of it, like, you've lost Dybala and Morata now. Um, it's a midfield that is, you know, has an injured Ramsey and an injured Arthur practically every week, you know, that is dependent pretty much on Rabiot, who's topsy-turvy. But the performances of the players is growing, except for that of Weston McKinney, who I do note that last season you told me is a player who thrives in chaos. And I wonder whether the lack of chaos is is one of the reasons. Yeah, Too much order. <laughs> too much order. Or maybe it's just, you know. Allegri is making it too structured. <laughs> yes, and maybe too rigid, you know, for him to just indulge in the freedoms of, of what he needs, really. But what I do think is interesting is just the fact that he sees Keza as a forward and has given him everything that he needs to try to be a forward. The fact that he brings in Cuadrado, it's this this clever reading of the game, of his substitutions, you know, Sandro looking like the Alexandro that I remember, you know. I mean, wouldn't it be great if there was another fullback that we can depend on in the same way on that side? But if Sandro's not available, there really isn't anyone else, you know. There are problems within this side, but he has simplified the game and the tactics to be able to at least win 1-0. They're not playing Milan's football. They're not even right now playing, well, Sassuolo's football, you know. Um, so, but I love the fact that this won't. is... won't. It's Max Allegri. Yeah, it's not but, his football. But I'm back to feeling safe. This is the first time in a long time that I've watched a game and I wasn't worried and I actually enjoyed it. And it wasn't like, oh my God, we're going to concede 15. You know, it was a case of, okay, I can actually come out from uh, under the sofa and enjoy the fact that, you know, there was Locatelli shining. There is Keza shining. There is, um, you know, just everything working together. And the most of all, I feel like I'm really proud of Jalift because he's been under a lot of criticism. He didn't ask to be paid, like, you know, to be to come in for 80 million. And I do think it's a little bit harsh that we've expected a lot from him. And I have too. And I have been a little bit disappointed at times. But I forget sometimes that he's still a kid. And I and I feel like his performance against Chelsea especially was absolutely amazing. Um, and you can really see right now that this is a side that can rotate at centre-backs. You know, Bonucci's on the sidelines and De Ligt is playing good. But this is never going to be a fun team. But for me, as long as it's a winning team, 
I'll take it. <laughs> that's yeah, that's, I agree with that. Like, it was, I think it's a very like the win over Chelsea was very Max Allegri. It was Max Allegri, not just in that he got his tactics right, it was Max Allegri in that Allegri. I think loves to like actually play to his own mythology. Like half of this, I think is just total rubbish, but it's his own story that he likes to tell, but it's all about how simultaneously he likes to tell us the manager can only affect 5% of things, but also he's not a big obsessive. who like wants to sort of study everything and stay up all night. He relies on his instincts and just what his ideas come into his head. And in like presenting this idea of like, oh, and it was time to take out Killini and put Delict in against Chelsea and it all just worked out. But <laughs> I I think his intuitions, however he got to them, were right for that game. Obviously, mm. he smashed that game. It was very much an Allegri win, that um, Chelsea game, right down to the fact that the goal was clearly a rehearsed move. Um, And yeah, he's managing lots of situations really well right now. He managed that game, which I thought they were going to lose. I thought they were going to lose possibly heavily against Chelsea. So that was a, a really impressive result. And then the derby, he got right in a different way. And and in the end, um, you know, kind of perfect that it's Locatelli who scores, who does come from a big family of, of Juventini. As I was actually just um, going back because he uh, his first goal, um, well, his second goal, sorry, in Serie A was against Juventus, right? He at Milan, he was a teenager in 2016. He scored two goals that season against Sassuolo and Juventus. Funnily enough, his future clubs, and then didn't score again for like three years. That's why. <laughs> yes, yeah. After goal against Juventus, a brilliant goal, supposedly. Well, as he's told it, like he um, went to see his his nana, his grandmother, who is um, nonna Bianca. <laughs> no, I said nana. His nonna, nonna Bianca who is a, a massive Juventina, my big Juventus fan. And, uh, and of course, it's her grandson. And she's like, oh, you know, I'm very proud of you. Well done. But apparently the way she told it to him was very proud of you. Well done. But Pjanic's goal for Juventus should have been allowed as well. <laughs> so even in his first moment of breaking through in Serie A, his, his nonna was still saying, well, but, you know, Juventus still desired something. So that's the family he comes from. <laughs> kind of perfect for him to be the guy who gets to go and settle a derby and then go and propose on the same night. Yes. To his wife, his fiance, sorry, who I think is also a Juventus fan. So they've really got it nailed down now. And, you know, this is the first time that he's scored in two consecutive games for um, Juventus. So that's amazing for him. Um, I just also want to note Torino because Torino have been sort of like relegation battlers now for a while. And they're not a while. I mean, it's, you know, you know how I feel about Marco Giampaolo. You know, he just starts the rot, right? Um, and then it's been kind of a hard time for them. But and they've been producing such good performances, not necessarily getting the results that they won against Atalanta, against Lazio, and now against Juventus. Against Juventus, I think they definitely have their alibis with all the absences. But one thing that I do think they need to work on is sort of they're like the anti-Lazio. Do you remember how Lazio used to be a side that always scores the goals in like the 85th minute onwards? You know, they need to be careful mm -hmm. about these last minutes in a game because it's been several of them now in which they've lost goals. Um, when they have been in, in total control sometimes. Uh, they had a great first half against Lazio. They were they had a great 90 minutes, to be frank with you, you know. Um, but I, it is the one thing that I wonder what's happening towards the end. Is the focus is going or whatever it is. Or maybe it is squad depth and not being able to introduce the right players. But otherwise, I think this team really is so much better than what I've seen Torino be for so long now under Walter Mazzari, under Nicola, under Giampaolo, under everyone. 
So well done to you, Van Yorish. Also this week, we had uh, Inter coming back from two goals down to beat Sassuolo. Funnily enough, um, this game ties together in my mind with some comments by the Napoli manager Spalletti this week, where um, Spalletti talked about, he said, games are longer now because of the increased substitutions. He said, like, I think this is from a manager's perspective. Like, he's like, before, you know, you, you got a certain amount to change the game and then and it was done. Whereas now with five substitutions, like the 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 game is not done for longer because there's always more you can change. Now this game, it wasn't actually an extended set of substitutions like drawn out. Simone Inzaghi just went, well, this isn't going well and made four changes all at once and and turned out that that worked out um, pretty well for him. I mean, really the important one was just Edin Dzeko who's scoring goals at a rate not seen by a new signing at Inter since, not we're not Lukaku we're talking about, since the Brazilian Ronaldo in the 1990s. Wow, yeah. I mean, it was a great stat to be noted. Uh, here's the thing. This is, for me, such an interesting game because I feel like Dionisi is getting his message across to Sassuolo. I thought that they were really well prepared for this game and I thought that they played a terrific first half. But it's difficult to really judge it because Inter were also so atrocious to watch in the first half. And you just, like defensively, it reminded me a little bit of how they started last season, you know, when they just seemed so overwhelmed. Um, And I remember like a good friend of mine, Nima, who who does a podcast, called them like a a poor version of Atalanta. (laughs) Just trying to score goals but conceding so many. And there were just so many errors at the back from Skriniar, De Vrij, obviously, you know. Bastoni doesn't look like Bastoni to me at the moment. And you just wondered what, what's happening to that back line. Um, and obviously, you know, you could say it's by virtue of the way that they're trying to play their game. I, I don't know what it is, but the issue that I have with all of this is that I do feel a little bit like the four changes worked for several reasons. It was all not working. So you can't just rip up everything and start again. Um, another reason is that Sassuolo can't bring on the likes of, you know, <laughs> obviously Eden Dzeko, uh, Di Marco, Damian, and all of those off the bench to change the game. He just doesn't have that available to him. Um, but it, it's kind of like, I, I, I feel like when you look at sort of the way that Pioli makes his changes and Allegri makes his changes, I feel like Inzaghi is like that mad scientist. You know that meme where there's somebody who's drawing like a thousand things on a blackboard? Yeah. And he's just sort of trying to, like, it's all in his head. He's trying to look for something and he's not getting it. And then he's just fed up and like, okay, four changes. But he does these things like against Real Madrid as well. You know, all the changes takes away all the possession and control that the team had. It's almost like it's a hit and run. You don't know if it's going to work. You don't know if it's not, you know. And I, I just feel like he's just somebody who's sort of like off the cuff. I don't know how much his decisions are med- measured and sort of um, come with a clear plan and a clear idea of what he wants, or rather that he's just reacting to everything that's happening within the game, which sometimes a little bit worries me. And what is the point of Chalinoglu? Does anyone understand what the point of him is? You know, Because sometimes he can be marvellous, sometimes he can't. Yeah. And I feel like he needs everything to go exactly his way for him to produce a performance. So should he be the man that we rely on to start the games? I mean, maybe we should go back to Vidal. I don't know. Just questions that I'm throwing there at you. Yeah, no, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot in there, isn't there? I, I don't know. Like, I, Chalinoglu 
Inzaghi keeps sort of saying is the one he specifically wanted. And yet tactically you're like, I don't, I don't get it. What's the point? <laughs> I'm not sure how this fits into like your attack. Like, do you really play with a number 10 like that? Like, I don't know. Like it's, it's odd. Which is why Jekyll matters, right? Honestly, like a really uncharitable comparison came into my head with this game. Um, and I don't know why it came into my head because it's such a long time ago. But um, I want to say it was 2005-06. It's certainly that sort of ball. Oh, wow, a long time. Um, yeah. M- Middlesbrough went to Europa <laughs> League final. And the, the whole run to that final, it felt like they weren't doing that great. And then Steve McLaren just threw on like all of his attackers and it worked out. <laughs> That's kind of how this game worked because Inter weren't good. No. Jekka was good. Yes. Um, and and so this game, I don't know, I think they got away with one, if I'm being honest, um, but they're still up there and still not quite top of the table because of Napoli, but, but not far off. I also, lastly, just want to point to the fact that, that Sassuolo were very angry about what they think should have been a sending off for Handanovic, who was wonderful um in his saves oh yeah in that yeah. match and Handanovic has been heavily criticized this season so I think his performance was it was extraordinary and I and I really for me I just don't understand what Dionisi was talking about because I feel like he made every effort to not make contact but it is a contact sport and there's a difference between being sent off and you know and an accident do you know what I mean like his help, elbow hits the opponent so it's Defrel seemed to be looking for that. So I just, for me, this was not at all a game that should be should have been 10 against 11. I'm happy it stayed 11-11. And, and the fact that Dionisi said if they went down, then we would have won means suggests that your team's obviously not good enough to win a match 11 on 11. We um, have a few other games we want to talk about quickly. Bologna, Lazio, Lazio, who obviously um, uh, did win in with a week against Lokomotiv Moscow. Uh, did win the derby and then come back and get walloped 3-0 by Bologna with Aaron Hickey, Scotland's Aaron Hickey, who is becoming quietly a little bit of a, a superstar with some of these goals he's scoring in in uh, Bologna. But I didn't see, did you see this coming, Mina? Bologna yeah. winning 3-0? I was like, Salernitana managed to keep a clean sheet and win. And I was like already on the floor because I thought this is such an unexpected thing to happen. But for me, there was this was hands down the, the game that I would have put money on. You know, Bologna can't defend. And they're obviously they went into like retreat because of the fact that they needed to like have their mentality looked at. So with all the noise surrounding them and and then, you know what it reminded me of? Sadi is Juve. It was just a horrible year for me, honestly, you know, because there were moments of like, oh, wow, because Lazio do have had, already had those moments under Sadi. Yeah. And then there's moments of, oh my God, what have you done? Why is this so slow? Why is this not working? Does anyone understand what it is that you're trying to implement tactically here? And it just looked like they had no clue what was going on or how to play the game. And Acerbi, yeah, you that- should know better than to get sent off like that, you know? Stop talking. Stop. You got a yellow card and you continue to talk and got a second one. Like, why would you do that? You're a professional. You're the leader of this team. Anyway, that bothered me as well.
other games we wanted to mention? Did you say Roma? You wanted to talk about Roma beating Empoli? I mean, there's nothing really specifically for me to say, except that they are in fourth place, which is kind of the position that we expect yeah. them to finish in. Um, and how much the team is just so much better playing when Pellegrini is there, you know. And New contract, Pellegrini. It's a good piece of business. Is there a man who deserves it more? Like, I mean, for me right now, Pellegrini is just, he's just fantastic. Like his, the way that he maintains his calm, the way that he is just, I mean, they're, they're, they're fantastic, right? So long may, may he continue to improve. So we had some other crazy games this week. Uh, the other one I wanted to highlight, Sampdoria 3, Udinese 3, that just went back and forth. I, I, I mostly just want to talk about briefly, not talk about, I just want to mention the fact that Antonio Candeva, who is, I don't know, um, 48 years old or something. I'm ever so slightly exaggerating. Poor Candeva. That's really unfair. <laughs> he is staging like a one man goal of the season competition down there. Like he just scores a worldie every week and goes, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe past the sort of pinnacle of my career. I might not be in those Italy plans anymore, but watch me go do magic in Genova for um, Sampdoria. And uh, it's been fun to watch. It's been fun to watch. I also do like Udinese. I like that they're just a different type of team to everything else that we see, you know. Um, they're just, I don't know, they're fun to watch. And, and you know, this is the fifth 3-3 three, three match between the two. That's crazy. The goals being scored at this rate in Serie A is, is ridiculous yes congratulations to Salernitana for finally winning a match and for finally keeping a clean sheet I think that needs to be mentioned we have a international break coming up it is the Nations League semi-final Italy are in it I don't think we're going to do a long conversation about that now because we've already got quite a chunky episode for you guys here we'll definitely go big on that in our next episode hopefully we will be here to tell you about Italy um, heading into, not heading into, having played and won the final <laughs> of the Nations League by then. Because as I said at the top of the show, Italy win everything now. We win the football, we win the volleyball, we win the cycling this weekend. 100 meters. Spree to the Olympics. We win all of it. Even the Eurovision contest. Even the Eurovision. But I guess, yeah, just to say quickly on the squad, big things that happened, um, a couple of injuries uh, late on with um, uh, Toloi and Piscina both getting injured meant finally Davide Calabria, who we were waxing lyric at the top of the episode, is in the squad and not before flipping time on that one. Yeah, Tonali is also in the squad, but uh, Zaniolo has been left out on this occasion for technical reasons and not because of the gesture like everyone had, I think, at least thought. Um, but I'm sure he will be included in future fixtures and we shall discuss the fact that Calabria is the best fullback. I will convince you all of this if you don't already think it. We're looking forward to his winner. Yes. So anything else that you want to add, Nikki, before we wrap up? Oh, just one more piece of squad news, actually. Just Chilo Immobile is out as well for this one. So no Immobile, which would be interesting, interesting to see what Mancini does up front. Will he take a lead from Juventus and go with Chiesa as uh, a number nine? But other than that, no. That is all I've got to say for right now, Mina. Oh, if only Lazio had Immobile, they might have not been so harshly destroyed. But um, remember, Serie A Chronicles will be back on Friday with another Chronicles Q&A mailbag episode. And don't forget to get your questions into us on Twitter at Serie A Cron Pod with the hashtag Chronicles Q&A. 
Also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini and at Mina Rizuki. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Of course, only if the review is nice. Otherwise, go away. <laughs> Just <kidding. laughs> Don't bother. <laughs> I got told that when I was a kid. Yeah. If you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> well then, listen to Nikki's mother and how she winged her. <laughs> make sure you subscribe and do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to try to make it positive or wherever you get your podcasts. And to help the show, please consider making a contribution at seriachronicles.com forward slash supporter. And you might, and you might just be featured in my future limerick <laughs> or rap or whatever I decide to do. Contractually obligated. <laughs> no contracts. But ciao for now. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Speak to you then. Sports Social Podcast Network.